Welcome to the White Spring Bunker. These halls were built to safeguard some of the most prestigious members of the United States government. We are MODIS, and we are always looking for men and women capable of helping us restore what has been lost. In return, we offer this, a new enclave and our refuge from the world above. Please, take your time and look around. The Colonel has made great strides restoring this place to its former glory. Welcome, member, to our little enclave. Greetings, members. As always, I am the Operative, your designated tour guide and host here at the White Spring. The Overseer. She was the heart and soul of Vault 76 for 25 years. After Reclamation Day, she disappeared, leaving a trail of holotapes across Appalachia detailing her journey. Instead of dying on some lonely mountainside, she's alive. A live Overseer complicates the Colonel's plans, but a dead one could become a martyr. Valeria must walk a fine line to discover what the Overseer intends, then decide how to proceed. And sometimes, new threats make for strange bedfellows. Valeria felt strange being out of uniform. Even worse, the traveling leather coat the staff at Logistics scraped up for her itched like hell. Even though Captain Reynolds insisted they had thoroughly deloused and cleaned it, as best as they were able. It still felt like her skin was crawling. Reynolds probably did it on purpose. Valeria opted for keeping a low profile for this visit. As far as anyone would know, she was just another scavenger trader, looking to make a few quick caps. Along with the coat, she had an old worn military cap and a pair of mirrored sunglasses. Her eye would blow her cover immediately, so better to be safe than sorry. And despite her misgivings, she was also very lightly armed. She had left her service rifle back at the bunker, with only a handful of grenades, a combat knife, and a 10mm submachine gun slung across her back. It's only the Overseer, probably nearly broken from spending a year in the wasteland. Approaching Sutton, Valeria noticed distinct changes since her last visit months before. The scorched, which had infested the area, were gone, replaced with armed guards and merchants. The old church had been turned into a trading post, and many of the buildings looked to be occupied. Far from the abandoned town, it had all the makings of a growing settlement. Valeria fell in with a small caravan of traders with their Brahmin. When they reached the main gate, one of the guards came down and went from merchant to merchant with a clipboard, asking questions. Finally, he walked up to Valeria. Name? Susan Johnson. Occupation? Trader. I can kind of lie, aren't you? Sold my last lot of scrap down at Helvetia a couple days ago. Here to buy for the most part. Oh, okay. You can keep your guns, but we run a tight ship around here. No messing around. Got it? Yes, sir. You'll get no problems from me. Good. Marketplace is on your right, saloons on your left, and medicals straight up the road. Valeria followed the traders into the settlement. This was exactly the kind of lax security she expected from someone like the overseer. She recognized a number of the residents from the vault, but luckily none of them even gave her a second look. I guess being a bit of a recluse had its advantages. Valeria checked her pit boy, pulling up the local map which pointed her to a familiar-looking house on the side of the hill. 
If she hadn't known better, she'd say it was almost right out of one of those old magazines showing what pre-war American houses looked like. Someone had done a lot of work, fresh paint, repaired windows, even a full front porch. She walked up the short path, passing a few residents along the way. They exchanged smiles and nods, all while Valeria kept an eye out for any additional security, but she saw none. Getting to the front door, she debated whether to knock. It just looked so... normal. Instead, she turned the knob and stepped into a fairly ordinary space. To her left was a small den with a projector and a screen, with a small kitchen area next to it, and a set of stairs to her right to the second floor. Hello? Anyone here? Downstairs. Valeria walked across the room. The projector was on, showing various pictures of sights across Appalachia. Must be from the overseer's journey. The door to the basement, while open, looked to have a very serious lock on it. Without it being open or having a key, there would have been no way getting down there without making a racket. Valeria resisted the urge to unsling her SMG. This was a social call, after all, or at least as social as the current apocalypse would allow. And she did promise Modus that she'd be on her best behavior, as much as Valeria preferred dragging the overseer out and throwing her into an interrogation cell. Taking the stairs one at a time, she could hear the whine of a small generator and the hissing of a Mr. Handybot's motors. At the bottom, there was a neatly organized workspace, with a tinkerer's bench, a variety of terminals, along with maps and charts tacked up to the walls. In the middle of the workspace, still dressed in her Vault 76 jumpsuit, but with a variety of armor attachments, and looking just a bit worse for wear, stood the overseer. Much like her outfit, she bore some new scars, and that naive expression of optimism she always had may have dulled a little, but her eyes still had that steely look of confidence. The overseer stood with her arms folded, looking Valeria up and down. Well, well, well. Hello again, Valeria. I wondered when you'd be stopping by. Valeria's expression dropped for a moment, before settling back. I was sorry to hear about your parents. How did you know about that? Really, Valeria? Or should I say, Colonel? Voltec overseers weren't selected just because of our good looks. <laughs> and I've been watching you and the others for a long time now. That bunker of yours is a horribly kept secret, despite you trying to keep it quiet. In fairness, you've surprised me. I've seen a lot of good that you've done here in Appalachia. The folks at Morgantown swear by you. And even if half the stories they've told are true, well, you've earned quite the reputation. Of course, when I sent out my message, I didn't know whether to expect you or that pet monster of yours. Valeria hadn't heard the footfalls behind her, but she did feel the barrel of a 10-millimeter pistol pressed against the back of her head and the soft click of a safety being flipped off. One can never be too careful, and as I said, I didn't know who to expect. The overseer motioned for Valeria to turn around, she slowly raised her hands and turned. Behind her was a young man, perhaps a little older than her, holding the pistol pointed at her head. I'd like you to meet Day. He's been a close associate of mine over the past few months. A bit of a bodyguard, though he hates being called that. Looking past the barrel, Valeria took stock of this Day. He wasn't from Vault 76, as far as she could remember, and he carried himself like someone long experienced with the wasteland. Beneath the mop of hair, his eyes had an intensity she saw mirrored in her own. I came here to talk, Overseer. If you don't remember, you called us. The Overseer smiled again, but it didn't reach her eyes. Of course. First, please let Day take care of your weapons. You won't be needing them during our conversation, and rest assured, you'll get them back when we're finished. 
Day helpful area on Slinger SMG. And she handed over her knife and grenades. Day smirked while Val scowled. She was livid that this boy got the drop on her, making her look like a fool. Like it or not, Valeria, we have a common problem. A problem that you and your people are better equipped to deal with than I am. And if you give me time to explain, I believe you'll see that it's in our best interest to work together. The overseer motioned for Valeria to follow her back upstairs. They went back up to the living room, followed closely behind by Day. The two of them sat down at the kitchen table while Day stood in the corner of the room. He looked bored, disinterested even, but Valeria knew better. He was watching her every move. The overseer poured them both a cup of coffee before starting. I heard about your battle in the Cranberry Bog, that you managed to finally kill the Scorch Beast Queen. Unfortunately, that didn't end the Scorch Plague, and now that large numbers of people are coming back into the region, we could be poised for an even bigger catastrophe. And where were you, Overseer? Do you have any idea what we sacrificed? They were your residents too. I'm, I'm sorry. I had my orders too. It wasn't until later that I realized how nonsensical they were. But I knew the residents of Vault 76 would rise to the occasion. I would have been there had I been able. I was wounded. I barely made it back here to Sutton, thanks to Day over there. But we still need to consider the future. Valeria just glared at the Overseer. The future would not be built on the lies of vault -Tec. Valeria, the plague is still out there. The people coming back are vulnerable. They could all get infected and everything starts all over again. However, we have a plan. We can use the blood of those already inoculated against the plague to create a real vaccine. Something we can distribute to everyone. Valeria found herself conflicted. On one hand, if the factions were stricken with the plague, it could quickly cause them to collapse, which wasn't necessarily bad in terms of control of the region. But on the other hand, it would mean a resurgence of the Scorched. And in its weakened state, the new Enclave wasn't prepared to fight another war against them at this point. You see, Valeria, we figured out what we need to mass-produce the inoculation, but convincing the newcomers to accept the dangers of the Scorched Plague and take it is something else entirely. The factions don't trust each other, and they don't trust us either, do they? The Overseer just shook her head and frowned. Well, I may be able to help you with the raiders, Oh, of course you can. You've sent your pet up to talk to them, haven't you? Valeria briefly gave Day a look like she'd discovered something unpleasant on her shoe, then turned back to the overseer without acknowledging that he'd spoken. As I said, I'm sure we can convince the raiders, but our contacts with Foundation haven't been as successful. They are a pretty suspicious bunch. Perhaps your associate might have more success? We have spoken to their leadership a few times, but I believe it would be in both of our interests to make it a joint operation. Present a united front, as they say. Valeria considered it. She hadn't liked the idea of relying on a stranger when dealing with Foundation anyway, but being short-staffed, it would be difficult finding someone she could trust with such a delicate assignment. The infiltration of Foundation was a much larger and more important project, and she wasn't going to rely on just anyone. I have someone in mind, but it'll take a few days to get her here. And how will I know this person? Oh, you'll know her. Both the Overseer and Day exchanged glances, before Day gave a brief nod. Then we are in agreement. Once both sides have agreed to work with us, we'll contact you with the details for Phase 2 of the plan. 
Valeria finished the rest of her coffee and then stood. The overseer held out her hand, and Valeria looked down at it for several seconds before reaching to take it. Letting go of the overseer's hand, she turned to face Day. Valeria held out her hand, not for a handshake, but to get her weapons back. He reached down and picked up her SMG, very deliberately ejecting the magazine and the chambered round before handing it over to Valeria. She took it with a sneer and shouldered the weapon. He handed her the knife and grenades as well, keeping one hand close to his pistol. Valeria walked to the front door, and the overseer called after her. It was a pleasure to see you again, Valeria. Valeria paused for just a moment, before continuing through the door, closing it behind her. Day strode over to the table and took a seat. Do you trust her? Not even for a second. But she has access to the resources we need to make the inoculation work and get to the right folks. Like it or not, we'll need to work with her. <laughs> and what about the other one? Lilith. The overseer tried to keep a tight rein on her emotions. What she knew about the girl from Vault 76 was bad enough, but in the wasteland, Lilith had become something else entirely. I don't know. Valeria has her on some sort of leash, I suppose. But she's more dangerous than any raider or super mutant out there, and sooner or later, Day, we'll have to deal with her, before she's sent to deal with us. The overseer pushed her glasses down and rubbed the bridge of her nose. Whomever they send for the assignment, you'll need to stay three steps ahead of them. Day nodded. He and the overseer had already talked at length about this new enclave. Valeria is smart. Very smart. Don't underestimate her. Our interests currently align. She doesn't want a replay of the last Scorch Plague disaster, and neither do we. But don't think for a second that she won't stab us in the back the moment it suits her. And then what? Then we implement our contingency plans, my boy. The Overseer gave Day a weak smile. More coffee? Once upon a time, 27 years after the bombs fell, there were two people, a vault dweller and a California girl. They met and sparks flew. That's when things got interesting. Once Upon a Wasteland is their story. Follow Elizabeth Kirby and Odessa Valdez as they pursue their happily ever after in the post-apocalyptic Appalachian wasteland of Fallout 76. Available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and many other podcasting platforms. Once Upon a Wasteland, a Fallout 76 love story. Available now. Sully took another hit of Psycho. It helped take the edge off, but he'd been addicted to the chem for years, even before hooking up with the Blood Eagles outside of the Harrisburg ruins. He and the rest of the crew were high most of the time. It was pretty much the way of life in the gang. It helped not remembering all the bad shit they did. But of course, at this point, most of them didn't even care. They'd been assigned to the Vantage, overlooking some old resort. Cutter's crew made the mistake of trying to raid the place back when they first arrived. Only Bobby made it back after a couple of Assaultrons popped up and killed everyone else. So instead, they'd hit small caravans and wanderers in the area for whatever they could take. They'd even gotten a couple of girls a week or so ago. Kept them busy for a while. But even that got boring. So Sully grabbed a few of the boys and they'd gone north. 
They ended up outside of a place called Somerville. Even managed to pick over some old Robco repair shop for some cool scrap. Of course, they'd heard rumors of some people they shouldn't mess with. Stories told after a few, well, too many, of some kind of wasteland monster that looked like a person, but tore raiders apart and ate them. Sully giggled. A lot of the guys told all kinds of stories, but hardly any of them ended up being true. In this world, it was kill or be killed, raid or be raided. All the bosses cared about was the loot they brought back, and that was that. His boys were getting antsy, so they were out and about to get some, and it really didn't matter what it was. So here they were, in a small copse of trees overlooking the road, looking for their next victim. Hauser came bounding over. He was a bruiser of a ganger, six foot tall and all muscle. Hey, boss! We got someone coming. Just one? That was weird. Usually they'd find small groups at best, but someone traveling alone was a bit of an oddity. Yeah, well, bonus. Looks like a girl, too. Oh, <laughs> this just keeps getting better. Today's our lucky day. The guys were getting antsy, and in the Blood Eagles, board raiders usually meant dead leaders. They'd grab this girl, get her back to the Vantage. It'd at least keep everyone busy for a while. Hauser, get the others. We'll take her over there by those trees. And tell them I want her in one fucking piece this time. Yeah, sure thing, boss. You know how much I like getting my hands dirty. The Blood Eagles moved stealthily through the trees, certain that they would catch their target unawares. A few minutes later, Sully caught sight of their victim. It was definitely a girl. A pretty one, too. She was wearing some kind of leather coat, cap, and glasses. She also had an SMG across her back, but Sully wasn't too concerned, as there were five of them and she wouldn't have time to pull it if they did their job right. Once they were in position, Sully gave a quick whistle and his crew emerged from several points surrounding the Traveler. The woman dropped into a defensive stance, but made no move for her SMG. My, my, my. Aren't you a brave one, traveling all by your lonesome? The woman said nothing, just glanced from raider to raider. Hey, honey, why don't you just come with us? We'll take you home, and we can all have some fun. How does that sound? Again, she didn't respond. What the... Come on, Sully. Let's grab her and go. Sully sighed. Hauser was a good fighter, but such a tweaker. He was a little put off by his victim's calm demeanor. He expected her to run, to fight, or do anything other than just stand there. It was like she was waiting for them to make a move. He had an itch on the back of his neck, an inkling that maybe something was wrong, but his intuition had been dulled out by all the chem use. Oh, fuck this. Just... Get her, boys, and mind the fucking merchandise. Hauser and Evan moved in, reaching for her arms. The shift in her position was nearly imperceptible. Evan got his hand around her left arm. Then she yanked him forward as a combat knife slipped from her sleeve into her right hand. Before Evan could regain his footing, she jabbed the knife into his ribs and turned to Hauser. Hopped up on Puffout, he lunged at her in a rage. She sidestepped and tripped him, leaving him on the ground flipping the knife into her left hand to parry the next raider as he tried to slice into her with his machete. She caught the edge of it on her blade and deflected it, punching his throat with her right hand, leaving the raider gasping for air. Rez, the fourth raider, sliced open her coat, his dagger skittering across the armor underneath. She switched knife hands again, grabbing Rez's arm and slicing into his neck, cutting the carotid artery. The blood sprayed out between his fingers as he tried desperately to close the wound with his hand. Hauser had gotten back to his feet, and caught her with a right cross, shattering her sunglasses and knocking the cap from her head. She wiped the blood from her lip and glared at the raider. 
He jumped at her again, and she met him head-on, blade at the fore. He wrapped his hands around her neck and squeezed. Sully was ready to yell out not to kill her, until he saw Houses' intestines fall to the ground. The strength in his hands disappeared as she tore open his guts, stabbing deep and tearing through his internal organs. He slowly slid down to the ground, leaving a bloody trail on her clothes. His final raider, Jimbo, finally caught his breath, saw Hauser and Evan lying on the ground, and turned and ran in the other direction. Jimbo, you asshole! I'm gonna fucking kill you! The woman calmly wiped her blade off on her sleeve and looked at him with almost predatory eyes. And one of them was... Silver? Sully fumbled for his pipe pistol, and she threw a knife, catching him on the shoulder. The pistol dropped from his hand, and he reached up to pull the knife out. She unslung her SMG and shot him in the other shoulder, then lowered her aim and put a bullet in each of his knees. Sully collapsed to the ground, screaming in agony next to his dead compatriots. In the direction the other raider ran to, there was a staccato sound of an automatic rifle, followed by silence. The woman walked over to him, SMG at her side. She looked down with a bit of a smirk on her face, with a blooming bruise on her cheek. Despite the pain, he could see her clearly now. She had raven, almost bluish hair with a long scar traveling down the right side of her face. And her eye, holy crap, it was silver, giving her an almost demonic look. Colonel, are you okay? Sully looked over to see a group of men emerge all wearing full suits of armor and carrying assault rifles. I'm fine, Lieutenant, but logistics won't be happy that I've ruined the coat they found for me. Our apologies for being late. One of them ran right into us back there. He's dead. What do you want us to do with this one? I'll take out the trash. Hey! Meant nothing? I'm sorry. Don't kill me, please? Valeria pressed the barrel of her SMG against his head, pushing Sully back into the dirt. Jones, these blood eagles need to be dealt with. Head out to the vantage and clear it out. We need to send a message. She turned back to Sully, her eyes boring into him. And then she gave him an odd smile. Thank you for the practice. Then she pulled the trigger, splattering the blood eagles' brains across the road. The small Mothman cult compound seemed to rise out of the forest itself, lit by torches in the central bonfire. The smell alone was enough to drive away most of the local wildlife, and kept the newcomers to Appalachia from investigating too closely the goings-on there. Both settlers and raiders reported seeing strange lights and other weird occurrences in the area. Lieutenant Cindy Connors viewed the cultists through her binoculars. Her team had been assigned to patrol a route through the Savage Divide to an area in the mire which needed further investigation. Unfortunately, these cultists were sitting right in the middle of their best route to their intended target. Lieutenant, we can go around, but it would put us uncomfortably close to Crater. Cindy looked behind her. Both Private Sam and April were watching their flanks and rear with their rifles ready. Sergeant, we're already behind schedule. We were supposed to be in our patrol sector yesterday. Damn it, Lieutenant. This is wild country up here. We already had to detour around several raider encampments and just avoided stumbling into that floater nest back there. Cindy looked down because she knew the sergeant was right. Gone were the days where they could go wherever they wanted in Appalachia and the colonel's orders were clear. They were to only engage hostiles if there was no other alternative. Their mission was observation and investigation, not direct combat. 
She was just about to wave her team in when a piercing scream broke the silence. Both she and the sergeant turned back to the compound. A group of cultists emerged from the opposite tree line, pulling along several young people, all tied up and struggling. Most had been gagged, but one girl had gotten her gag off and was screaming for help. One of the cultists, wrapped almost from head to toe in ritualistic attire, casually walked over and hit her across the face with the butt of his rifle. She collapsed to the ground, almost pulling down the prisoners to her left and right, sobbing and cradling her face. The cultist pulled her to her feet, resecured her gag, and pulled them all into the compound. Cindy felt a hand on her shoulder. She looked back at Private Samantha, who had crawled over. Uh, Lieutenant, what do we do? Orders, Private. We aren't to get involved. Another scream echoed from the compound, ending in a high-pitched shriek, which abruptly ended. Come on, Lieutenant. We can't just leave them. Cindy was conflicted. She knew the Colonel would be upset if she found out they'd violated her standing orders, but she was also well aware of what these cultists normally do with their prisoners. I know what you're thinking, Lieutenant. It's not worth it. Those were probably blood eagles anyway. Whatever happens in there, they probably deserve it. An image of a young, blonde-haired girl flashed before Cindy's eyes. No. These cultists are in our way, and they'll be too focused on their new sacrifices to see us coming. We're here to save lives, Sergeant. The Sergeant rolled his eyes. At this point, the best he could do was to make sure they didn't do anything stupid or get too cocky. While they may only be cultists, they've proven themselves to be extremely dangerous. Okay, you're the boss, Lieutenant. But if we're gonna hit them, we hit them hard fast, cut whoever's left alive loose and get the hell out of here. But if any of you die, it ain't gonna be on me. Sergeant Nichols motioned for Private April to join them. The compound only had one entrance and was surrounded by fallen trees used as walls. He drew a quick plan in the dirt and pointed to the operatives. These cultists are distracted right now. I'll head in first, and I want you two to provide cover fire. Keep your eyes on the walls. Anything that pokes its head over, you put a bullet in it. The lieutenant will follow me in, and we'll clean up. If we need you, we'll holler. Both operatives nodded in unison. Despite their young age, they'd seen just enough action to be considered more than novices, and immediately did a quick weapons check. They could hear chanting now coming from the compound, followed by another scream. Cindy and Nichols took the lead, while April and Samantha took position in the tree line. The closer to the compound they got, the fouler the odor and the louder the screams got over the chants. One of the perimeter guards, dressed in ceremonial wraps and a skull mask, looked away from the ritual scene and turned to the tree line. A silenced 45 round blew out his eye socket before coming out the back of his head. Even before he fell, Nichols dove through the entranceway and scanned the interior with Cindy right behind him. The cultists were all kneeling in front of a Mothman effigy, flanked by lit bonfires. In the middle was a stone slab covered in blood. The first prisoner laid splayed on the ground, her entrails tied around her own neck, while the high priest held her heart in one hand and a dagger in the other. The other prisoners, soon to be sacrificed, were huddled together with dirty faces streaked with tears. The movement must have alerted the cultists as the chanting suddenly stopped, and all eyes turned to the intruders. Fire! As the bodies hit the ground, the survivors reached for their weapons, and the prisoners dove behind the altar. Cindy fired burst after burst into the cultists. The perimeter guards each fell as Samantha and April went from target to target, firing at any cultist they could see. Nichols bodily pushed Cindy out of the way as the cultist lunged with a large machete at the two of them. He blocked the blade with his armor before blasting off the top of his head. Within a few minutes, the rest of the cultists were dead. Some died screaming their praise of the Mothman as they fell. Whistling, 
Nichols ejected the spent magazine and replaced it with a fresh one. Cindy moved from body to body, making sure they were all dead, until she got up to the altar. She slung her rifle and moved around to the back. There she found the three remaining prisoners, all young and absolutely terrified. Shh, it's okay. Look at me. We're here to help. Nichols brought over a combat knife, and the prisoner's eyes went wide, until he reached down and cut each of their bonds in turn. The three of them still remained huddled together, whimpering and choking back more tears. Cindy knelt down and brushed the hair out of the eyes of the youngest girl. She might not have been older than twelve and was clutching a soiled old stuffed bunny. What's your name, honey? The girl sniffled and rubbed her sleeve across her nose before whispering. (laughs) Where had she heard that name before? Cindy couldn't quite remember, but she was sure she had heard it mentioned. You're safe now, Rara. Those mean people won't hurt you anymore. Wanna go home? Wanna play with Gail? Oh no. This was Rara from Crater. She remembered when Lilith told her about the super mutant who had adopted a little girl, and the two were inseparable. This could turn ugly really, really fast if it wasn't handled properly. Cindy had Samantha and April care for the now freed prisoners. They gave them some food and water while she grabbed the sergeant. Sergeant, that girl is from the crater, and she's got a super mutant friend probably looking for her right now. Damn it, well, we just can't let them go. We don't know who else is stomping around these woods. And if we got all those damn cultists. Cindy had to think this through, and none of the answers she was coming up with sounded very good. She couldn't just walk Rara back to Crater. Not only would that involve going well out of their way, but it would jeopardize new enclave operations to infiltrate the raiders, and maybe even Major Lilith personally. And she couldn't just leave her here, or bring her back with them. No matter what she considered, none of her options appeared to be very appealing. Lieutenant, Rara is definitely perking up. She's already asking to go home again, or at least go out and find that Gale person. The other two were kidnapped from a small settlement up northeast of here. Turns out the one we couldn't save was their older sister. Cindy cringed. The sergeant had moved the body and covered it up, but they wouldn't be able to give her a proper burial. A quick search of the compound hadn't picked up anything else useful, except for what appeared to be a bunch of glowing eggs and various cult artifacts. Lieutenant, I've got operations requesting a status update. We were late with our check-in. Cindy hadn't realized they were late, and the colonel insisted that all of our field teams contacted the bunker on a regular basis, unless otherwise ordered. She got on the communications channel and gave a report to the duty officer. What she hadn't been prepared for was the colonel jumping on the line and asking her what the hell she thought she was doing. It was daunting, but she carefully explained the situation and who she found. The line was quiet for almost a full minute before the colonel came back on. Listen very carefully, Lieutenant. There is a small camp to the north of your current location. You, and just you, are to bring Rara there and wait for pickup. The rest of your team can bring the other girls back home. Once you rendezvous with your team, you are to return to the bunker immediately. I'm so sorry, ma'am. Am I being relieved of command? No, Lieutenant. A matter of utmost importance has come up, and it takes precedence over your current assignment. Yes, ma'am. Orders received and understood. Over and out. Sergeant Nichols came over and Cindy briefed them on their new orders. And here I thought I was the babysitter before. Rara had already bounced back from her captivity and was running around the compound like a maniac with her stuffed bunny. April and Samantha had attempted to corral her, but she treated it like a game of tag and easily outpaced both of them. Gosh, you guys are so bad at this game. Gail is so much better. After a couple of hours of playing, 
Rubra finally got tired and sat down by the dwindling bonfire. So, when are we going to go home? I bet Gail is still looking for me. I'm still the best hide-and-seek player there is. We'll be leaving soon, honey. Cindy turned to the two other girls, both still upset at the loss of their sister. Girls, I'm so sorry we didn't get here sooner. We're going to take you home now. Sergeant Nichols here is going to make sure you get back to your family, okay? The girls both nodded. Good. Okay, you two. We need to leave before it gets dark. Samantha and April will stay right here with you, and I'll be scouting ahead. If there is anything you need, just let one of us know. Cindy spoke to the team. They would meet back up at Sunnytop Station in two days. Her preference would have been to take at least one of the operatives with her, but the colonel's orders were very specific. She was to go alone with Rara. Beyond that, Cindy didn't know what to expect. The whole way to the rendezvous point, Rara constantly pestered Cindy with questions about her gear, her hair, her team, and just about anything else she could ask about. She also regaled her with stories of epic hide-and-seek games with Gail, and how much better Gail was at everything. Cindy didn't have any siblings, but she imagined that this is what it must be like to have a younger sister. Just over a small rise, they came upon a makeshift camp marked on Cindy's Pip-Boy. There wasn't much to see, a couple of tents, a cooking station, and a campfire, some chairs, and a small table. Rara started tugging on Cindy's sleeve. Hey, 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 hey. Oh my gosh, Rara, what? Gail and I have been here before. We played a great game of tag right over there. Well, until the big teddy bears showed up. Um, what teddy bears? You know, the big glowing fuzzy ones. They messed up our game, and Gail had to get all smashy-smashy with them to make them leave us alone. Are they all gone now, Rara? Yeah. Well, at least I think so. Wonderful, Cindy thought. The last thing she needed was another Yagwai fight, after her last experience with them at the bog. Rara, I see some toys over there. Why don't you go play, and I'll just make sure there are no more teddy bears around, okay? Toys! Awesome! Cindy unslung her rifle and started checking the camp perimeter for signs of anything unusual. It appeared that the camp was a stopover point for travelers, as there were tracks leading to and from the camp in several different directions. Otherwise, there didn't appear to be any obvious signs of Yagwai or any other creatures for that matter. The colonel told her to expect retrieval in a day or so, and maybe, just maybe, she could put up with Rara's antics until then. As the sun set over the mountains, Cinti built a small fire and cooked up some roasted radrat. It was impossible to get Rara to stop talking about Gale and how much she was looking forward to seeing her friend again. Cindy was both happy and a bit sad to see a child having so much fun in such a messed up world. You know, I really wish there were other kids around I could play with. I love Gail, but it would be fun to have some other friends too. We could really have some great games of hide and seek. There aren't any other kids at the crater, Rara? Nah, just a bunch of no fun grown-ups. They make Gail mad sometimes too, so we go out and play a lot. We found so many cool places, like down at the steel mill. One of the pipes goes to this secret place. Maybe we'll go play there next. It was almost midnight before Rara finally talked herself to sleep. Cindy picked her up and carried her into one of the tents, tucking the girl into a sleeping bag with her stuffed bunny. Cindy went back out to the dwindling fire and looked out to the horizon. In the distance, she could see the lights from Crater and a few other campfires way out in the toxic valley, but the night was deathly quiet. 
Cindy woke with a start. She must have fallen asleep sometime during the night. Stretching, she rubbed her sore neck. The campfire had gone out completely and a light breeze blew in from the valley below. Turning around, she noticed that Rara's tent was empty. Rara? Rara! Rara? Rara, where'd you go? To be on the safe side, Cindy grabbed her rifle and ran over to the edge of the camp. She didn't see any sign of the girl at all. If she lost her, they would be hell to pay. She was sure of it. Cindy spent the next half hour scouring the area until she finally found a faint track leading deeper into the woods to the north. She followed the tracks until she heard a rustling in the underbrush ahead. Oh good, she thought. That had to be Rara. Just as she was about to call out, the girl burst from the brush, arms full of blackberries. She was screaming something unintelligible. Oh my god, the titties are back! Run, 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 run! Before Cindy could figure out exactly what she was saying, Rara ran past her back in the direction of the camp. Then behind her, the largest yagwai she'd ever seen hurtled out of the woods directly at her. Shit, the teddies are back. Run! Run! Cindy was already running to catch up to Rara even before she knew it. The ground seemed to shake as the mutated bear charged, knocking small trees to the ground. At least the little girl was fast, really, really fast, and was already significantly ahead by the time Cindy got up to full speed. Glancing back, Cindy saw the Yagwai closing the gap between them. In front, Rara scampered up a tree as quickly as she could, getting herself well out of harm's way. Good for her, Cindy thought. But what the hell was she going to do? Up ahead, the camp ended on a cliff. Maybe, just maybe, Cindy could get the bear to fly off the side. She could hear Rara screaming something, but Cindy was too focused on where she was going to stop short. About 20 feet short of the edge, Cindy threw herself to the side as the Yagua just missed her legs, swiping upwards with its claws. The charging bear flew over the side of the cliff, tumbling end over end into the valley below. Cindy also tumbled to the side, her rifle coming loose and also flying off the cliff. Rara was still screaming and Cindy turned around to see what the fuss was about. Paddling along, not more than a few hundred feet away, was a slightly smaller Yagwai, and it didn't look happy. Oh no, are you kidding me? Cindy's rifle was gone, and she wasn't carrying a sidearm. It was still on the chair by the fire. The Yagwai locked eyes with her and started gathering speed into a full charge. Cindy scrambled backwards on her hands towards the chair, but she wasn't going to make it in time. The bear was closing the distance rapidly and would be on her in seconds. Well, she thought, definitely not how she wanted her first command to end. Suddenly, there was a whoosh and a flash from the nearby tree line. A trio of missiles corkscrewed through the air and impacted on the Yagwai, blowing a clear hole through it and throwing up a fine mist of blood and melted flesh and bone. Its momentum carried it forward, plowing its head into the ground as it slid to a stop just inches from Cindy's feet. She scrambled to her feet and grabbed her pistol, just as two figures walked out of the tree line, one significantly taller than the other, and the shorter one carrying a tri-barrel missile launcher. Before Cindy could say anything, Rara leapt down from her tree and ran laughing towards the two individuals. Rara, get back here! As Cindy got closer, she could see the taller one was a super mutant, while the other one was... No, it couldn't be. Gale! Oh my goodness! Rara screamed and jumped directly into the super mutant's arms. Gale gave Rara a big hug before setting her down again. You gave Gale big fright, Rara! Did not know where you go. Then Rara turned to the second person. Auntie Lily, you came too? Oh wow, now we can really play some fun games. <laughs> Auntie Lily? That was perhaps the funniest thing Cindy had ever heard. 
But sure enough, Rara ran over and gave Major Lilith a big hug, squeezing tight. Lilith looked over at Cindy and gave her a wink. Rara, Gail was so worried about you. When we heard you were here, we came right over to get you. Those bad men grabbed me while I was trying to hide from Gail, and I had the best spot, too. Then Cindy showed up, and we got away, and all of the bad men go boom, too, and it was so much fun. Then those teddies showed up again, and we ran and ran, and that one fell over there, and this one exploded, and oh my gosh, best day ever! Rara just kept talking and running circles around Gale, allowing Lilith to detach herself and come over to Cindy. I'm sure you had those Yagwai well in hand, Cindy. But you know me. I'd never give up a chance to explode stuff. Thank you, Major. Now, I really have to get back to the crater. Lots of really interesting gossip and things happening. Everyone is talking about gold and some vault. But... I've been getting Meg all hot and bothered about the Scorched. The Colonel's got a plan, and we need the Raiders to get on board. And she had a message for you, too. Val needs you back at the bunker as soon as possible. There's a really juicy assignment she needs you on. The rest of your team should be here no later than this afternoon. I've got the Raiders heading in the other direction for a nice score, so you should have a clear path back down to Morgantown. Cindy nodded, happy to hear that the colonel wasn't mad. Rara ran back over and grabbed Lilith by the legs, almost toppling her over. Auntie Lily, can you give me a horsey ride back home? <laughs> of course, Rara. Come here. Lilith rode Rara around, running circles around the dead Yagwai, stopping every so often to reach down and pick off a rib or two to munch on. Rara and girl, go home now. Time to play over now. As the three of them hiked back down the hill towards Crater, Rara turned around and waved. Cindy waved back before slumping into a nearby chair. It would be a couple of long days to get back to Morgantown, and then back to the bunker for orders. She wondered what was so important, more than what they were trying to find up in the mire. Guess I'll just have to find out. Hi, I'm Aaron. And I'm Ariel. And we're the hosts of the Legend of Zelda Lorecast, a podcast about all things Legend of Zelda, from Errol to Zora, and all the fun things in between. If you're ready to dive deep and learn more about the Legend of Zelda lore and everything surrounding it, come join us on Legend of Zelda Lorecast. You can find us on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Google, or wherever else you get your podcasts. We hope to see you soon. Thank you again, members, for joining us here on The Modus Files. If you've enjoyed this content, please subscribe. And better yet, please leave a review to help others find our little enclave. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Modus Files, for more information about our podcast, Fallout 76 content, and random musings on the enclave. I'd also like to thank our cast, Pandora Beatrix as Colonel Valeria Faustina, Lucy Middleton as Major Lilith Alistair, Maria Cheshire as Lieutenant Cindy Connors, Austin Rogers as Lieutenant Jones, Ryan Nagrin as Day, Wendy Novosiski as the Overseer, My AOL Password as Sutton Guard, Monty Wildhorn as Sergeant Nichols, Void Maiden as Rara, Casual in a Corset as Private April and Gale, Rob Cunningham as Sully, General Sniper as Hauser, and Brad Williams as the Voice of Modus. 
and a shout out to the Apocalyptic Aristocracy Discord, home to a great group of fellow creators, the Robots Radio Podcast community and the rest of the Robots Radio Rocket Club, and Jeremiah Johnson, our favorite character artist who provided the wonderful character artwork you can find on our website. Lastly, thank you to all of our subscribers and supporters. God bless the Enclave, and God bless America. Members, we look forward to your next visit to our little Enclave.